will be not only mine. This is a desire of our Lord Jesus Christ for actually every congregation where people meet in his name. So what I would like to do today, I would like to start with a very, very simple question. Have you ever asked yourself, how does a good and healthy church look like? Or what are the marks of a healthy church? So don't worry, I'm not going to preach uh, the book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever here. I haven't read it myself entirely. I have read a few chapters. So, But I, I'm sure that each one of you had this question already. Um, I have to say, I remember reading Revelation, maybe some of you would remember too, in chapter 2, where Jesus gave his perfect view or on this on this individual churches where he said, yeah, this is right and this is wrong. Yeah, I wish we would have the same for our church here. Sometimes I would, I did ask myself, what would Jesus say to our church here? What would, would be his view? I, I saw what, please follow me now, my, uh, follow me is my th thoughts. What I thought because we don't have a real scripture passage where it says, oh, the healthy church looks like bup, 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 bup. It's not there, right? We have lots of indications. But what I would like to do today, I would like that you follow me in my thoughts because when Paul, we know that Paul wrote most of, of the letters to existing churches. And I had this question, what was it that Paul was actually looking for? You might remember what... Um, very often, those for us who read the Bible on a regularly basis, they would know very often Paul would establish a church, would go further, and after a while he would come back, or sometimes he would send someone back of his very close companions actually to find out how the church is doing. So my question was at this point, what was Paul looking for? What was he, what was he expecting from a church? What did make him uh, rejoice? And where was it when he was sad? So I hope you can uh, follow me so far in my thoughts, okay? So I would like to show you through words God, specifically through Paul's letters today, his desire for the local church. So to say it again, it is not my, my goal to give you a list of certain marks where you can say, yeah, we are a healthy church, or no, we are not. I would rather give you the main mark of a healthy church. And I believe that if this mark is miss missing, all the other marks, like church discipline, church government, expository preaching, and so on, they actually really don't matter. Even I do believe they are important things for a healthy church. So please understand me right. So reading Paul's letters, you will find a pattern. There's not one letter in which Paul would not address the unity of the church. I think you would agree so far. In fact, I think that most of his letters are focused on that very issue. A church that is not marked by unity, love, and care for each other is not a healthy church. I will repeat it again. A church that is not marked by unity, love, and care for each other it's not a healthy church. How came I to this conclusion? Please follow me. You don't have to turn. I will be, I'm just saying something here. I will be quoting today lots of passages. We will be staying most time in Philippians, 
but I will be quoting sometimes in a different passage. But please bear with me. I have to defend what I say or what I think by scripture. And I feel a little bad for the, especially our younger folks, because it will be very boring for them. But for those who are older, more mature in faith, they would understand, hopefully they can follow my thoughts, okay? So, but it won't take too long. So, remember when I said, a healthy church is marked by unity, love, and care for each other. It is no surprise for me, for example, when Paul writes to the Colossians, you don't have to go there now, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Or he writes to the Ephesians, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I hope you can see already where I'm going. Or to the Thessalonians, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly long to see us. I mean, I, there's more passages, but I, I just give you these three passages that you would see. Paul was looking for faith and love. You, you could see these two words repeated, I hope so. So, I'm convinced that you cannot have genuine love for one another if you don't have faith in Christ. Or to say it differently, true faith will produce love. Paul was looking for genuine faith, which would produce love. So the first point I'm trying to establish here, God's desire for a local church is true faith in Jesus Christ and love for one another, which will result in unity. I hope everyone could follow me so far in my thoughts. I will give you a very short um, illustration that you can maybe understand it better. It was not long ago after we came from Germany here to Canada and I was on site working uh, upstairs and I got it got to happen that I started to talk to uh, a lady and she said she's a believer and she pointed out that she's going to that and that church. So later on in the afternoon I worked, uh, I think it was downstairs, and there was an older man and I, we, we talked about our Christian life and, and I asked him, what church are you going to? And he actually said, oh, this is this church. And it was exactly the same church as the lady named. Then I said, oh, then you know this lady. And he said, actually, no, I don't. Um, I hope, I think you know what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make. If there's no involvement from one to another, it's no church. We cannot have church without being um, involved in each other's lives. So today what we will be focusing on, on few passages in the letter to the Philippians. Actually, you can already open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We will be reading verse 1, 3, 1, 2, 4, 1. And um, as, as I start reading here, please try to see Paul's heart. It is very important. Okay. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the, on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that, I ha not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let, the, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to him. Therefore, my, br my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Just to give you a small back background, as Paul is writing this letter, he's in prison. The Philippians heard of Paul's imprisonment and were worried about him. They were not only worry, worried about him, they also thought that through Paul's imprisonment, the gospel would not go forward. So this is why he writes in chapter 112, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard 
and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So I'm just summarizing very short what he's trying to say in the first chapter. Paul is saying that he is thankful for their love and concerned for him. But there's no reason to be concerned about his situation. Nor should they be concerned about the advancement of the gospel. Paul understood that the disunity in this church is a way greater concern than his imprisonment. And now, please go with me and re let, let us read chapter 127. It will make it more clear. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You can see, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. We have to understand when Epaphroditus came back from Philippi that one of Paul's first questions would be, how's the church doing? Epaphroditus told Paul of their concern for him and for the gospel, but all, he told him also that there were rivalries among the brothers and sisters. This is why he does not write in the same way. You remember, he, as he wrote to the Colossians, Ephesians, and Thessalonians, to these churches, Paul was thankful for their love and faith, but not for the, for the Philippians. For the Philippians, he writes in Philippians 1, 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Or I think, let us read chapter 2, verse 2. It, it's, it makes it even more clear. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing, nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I hope you can see it. This was his concern. Paul learned from Epaphrodite that the Philippians want to take part, wanted to take part in the advancement of the gospel but they were not united. I believe as he addresses the main problem in the church, which is disunity, he gives them also, also a solution. Even though this letter is almost 2,000 years old, we are still facing the same problem today. And we, as we all know, our church is not an, is not an exception. So Paul is writing to the Philippians to point out this problem, and I believe so he writes this letter with the intention to correct this problem. So what I like now to do, actually to deal more with the how to correct the problem. And please follow me in my thoughts, okay? So we will be reading a few passages together, but I would encourage you to read it as a whole as a whole. It is so important to follow the author and his thoughts. So now let us read altogether 317. Th chapter 317. Always Philippines, okay? We don't we, we won't go somewhere else. Three, and you might not see the, the connection right away, but I hope you will see it later. Chapter 317. Brothers, join in imitating me 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. A pretty bold statement, isn't it? Let us read also chapter 4 9. 4 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When we read these verses, we have to acknowledge that not many of us would dare to say what Paul said. Some might even say, this is arrogance. Before we make a statement like this, let us, let us see what Paul is actually saying here. As I said prior, Paul is concerned about the rivalry in the church and their disunity. The Philippians might even ask themselves, how is taking Paul as an example going to help the disunity of the church? Okay, when we read in 3.17, join in imitating me, Paul is not saying they should all become apostles like him. What Paul is saying what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, that is what you should imitate. We could go to other passages in scripture where, which are almost identical to this one. Reading the letter to the Philippians again and again, I believe Paul is saying, have the same mind as I do. Have the same mind as Timothy has. Have the same mind as Epaphroditus has. And sure, you can also say you have the same mind as Christ does. But I believe by saying and join and imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, he's, he, he has not Jesus in mind. Paul wants to give them visible examples. First, I will be trying to explain to you why I think that Paul is talking about their mindset. To prove this, let us read again the heart of, of the letter to the Philippians. Let us read chapter 127. It is important that you follow, follow 127 again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And now just go look a little bit down to in chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look of, to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Now verse 5. Have this mind among yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Some translations say, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think which was also in Christ Jesus fits better the context. But when Paul says, have this mind among yourself, this mind automatically points to the surrounding verses. You would agree. In verse 4, we read, or we read, let each of you not only look to his, his interests, but, but also to the interests of others. Now it is helpful to read verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourself, which was in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What, and this is, I, I actually give you almost the whole letter in, very, in, in, in a small package. What Paul is doing in his letter, he's giving the Philippians four clear examples of a right mindset. The first example which we have seen is Christ. When Paul gives Jesus as an example, he said, Jesus did not look for his own interests. Jesus had interests of others in mind. Let us now go look to Timothy. Timothy is the second example. Let's go to chapter 2, 19 to 24. As I said, there will be lots of reading, but please keep with me. 2, 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuine, genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. You could see, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You can see Paul is saying Timothy does not look for his own interests. Timothy has a right mindset. And now let's read verse 25 to 30. It's a third, this is the third example. 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I think it is clear what Paul is emphasizing when he gives him the example of, of Epaphroditus. Verse 25, he says, Your messenger and minister to my need, or he has been longing for you all, it has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And then he says, Honor such man, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service for me. Paul is saying Epaphroditus has a right mindset. He's not looking for his own interests. I hope you can see it. And now Paul is, Paul is talking about himself. In chapter 3, 7 to 8. Chapter 3, 7 to 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
So we do not have enough time to go through all the passages, even at this in this Philippians brief, uh, letter, to show Paul's mindset. But we all know that his life was a testimony to that statement. So what have all these three men in common? They all have their minds set on Christ. I hope you could see it. It says in Timothy, for I have no one like him who will, who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And it says of Epaphroditus, for he nearly died, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. And for, from Paul, it, or Paul says about himself, what gave, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So I hope you can see it. All these three men have their minds set on Christ. This is why Paul, this is exactly what Paul had in mind when he says, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, have the same mindset as we do. Their goal is to please Christ. Paul says we make it our aim to please him. And we read in, in chapter 3, 18, 19, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. The Philippians probably knew whom Paul had in mind here. But Paul is saying, don't follow them. Follow us as we follow Christ. So you might ask yourself now, what does a mind set on Christ to do with unity? Beloved, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is the one who brought us into one body. Through his shed blood, he became one family. He is the one who we owe everything. We have the same Father. Please think about it when we are going to have communion afterwards. And yes, when we are focused on Christ, and not only on Christ and his will, there will be love, unity, and care for each other. Paul knew it. I believe that the wrong mindset mindset will create this unity and that each, each of us is responsible for the unity of the body. I'll stop here very short because very often we think, yeah, but what does it have to do with me? Please don't forget, Paul writes this letter to a church body and he wants to have this body a right mindset. This is why I'm saying for the unity in a church body, each of the members are responsible. It is God's desire for his children to have their minds on Christ, or their minds focused on Christ. And if someone mind, someone's mind is not on him, that we lovingly correct him. I know this is not a common practice nowadays in ch churches 
But if you want to have a healthy church, we have to practice it. At this point, I want to ask us, I want you to ask yourself, and I want to challenge myself here too. How is it with us? Is our mind set on Christ? Can we say as the Apostle Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Or can we say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A few, few weeks ago, when I read this letter to the Philippians, I was very much challenged in my own thinking. I have to admit, very often my focus is not on Christ. Very often my focus is on earthly things. I say to my own shame. But I also know that in Christ there is forgiveness. I know if we come to him with a broken heart, he is more than eager to forgive us. I want you today to ask yourself, on what is my mind set? Ask yourself the question, do I love Jesus? Is he the one I am focused on? It is interesting when we read in 3.14, go with me there very shortly, 3.14, I press on toward the goal of the price of the upward call on God in Christ Jesus. Paul is not passive. He runs with endurance. He wants to please his master. He does everything not to miss the mark. I'm asking you this question, is this our goal? Do we everything to please him? Is our mind occupied with Christ? Think about these things. Do we toil and labor for him and his kingdom? I hope as we read in chapter 3, 1 to 7, uh, especially it comes from 17 to uh, 14, I hope you can see the Paul's heart. We have to imitate this heart. Dear friends, if we cannot say with a clear conscience that we live for Christ, then it is time to go on our knees and ask him for forgiveness. I want to remind us of Christ's goodness and meekness. Jesus is ready to forgive us and to restore our, the relation. I want to address at this time, especially those who become lazy and inactive in their walk with Christ.
I ask you to think what I'm saying. And I am challenging myself with the same thing. As I said before, I was convicted a few weeks ago of my own lack, of my own mind which was not set on Christ. Please, if you, if you ask yourself this question, and you can see yourself not walking with Christ, repent of your sin. We are called to follow him. I want to close today with a well-known passage, even I know it's quoted to a church, but it's very clear, uh, a picture of every, or of lots of believers I do believe nowadays. You don't have to go there. I'm just quoting from Revelation 2, verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and to the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. To come very back, it is my desire for this church body that we would together follow Christ. That we would be in each other's life that we would correct each other. I'm convinced that this is the desire of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would focus on him and challenge each other. Not sorry, but I want to see on this point and help each other too. Yes, we will be struggling in doing so. May the Lord, our God, help us to do it. Let me pray.